Who's excited to be here this morning? Come on, you make a little bit of noise. Good seeing you guys. Man, wow, you came back. Oh, my goodness, after last Sunday. That is awesome. And if you wasn't here last Sunday, you probably want to go in and check that out. But, hey, if this is your first time or first time in a long time, welcome to Better Life Church. Uh, here's what you need to know about us. We are now one church in two locations. We have a location in Grayson. Can we get for our Grayson campus? Yes. You know, we really feel that God's called us to this region, and we continue to pray as the Lord leads, plant more churches, launch more campuses as God uh, so fits to see us do that. We're in the series we ended today called You Ask For It. And so here's how this worked. Uh, we ask you what questions are on your heart, what's on your mind. You submitted your questions, and the ones that kind of rose to the top, uh, we took those and we answered them over the last few weeks. So if you missed it, we want to encourage you to go grab our app and watch it on our app. You can download it and watch it online as well. But we talked about things like if you're truly saved, can you really lose your salvation? We talked about Christians and drinking alcohol and can a Christian drink alcohol and what does that look like? We talked about rated R movies. We talked about cussing. We talked about can Christians be cremated? What about interracial marriages? And my favorite, do all dogs really go to heaven? Yes, come on, everybody knows that, right? And uh, so if any of those questions kind of intrigues you, we talked about that the last little bit. And uh, today we get to jump into it as well and the last Sunday and talk about uh, some spiritual gift stuff. So we'll get that just in a moment. Now, I've set the, the uh, playing field every uh, service saying this. Everyone has convictions, everyone has beliefs, and everyone has opinions. Convictions are things that you would die for. A conviction for us at Bear Life Church, Jesus came, he died, he got up out of the grave, and who, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. We fight, we will like die for that because that's the gospel. A belief is a little bit lower than that. A belief is something that you believe, you'll fight for it, but you won't die for it. For instance, maybe you believe the earth is 6,000 years old, maybe you believe the earth is six. A billion years old, whatever you may believe. And you have your facts and you have your, your, your exegesis, you have your Hebrew words, you have everything to go back and forth and all the science stuff, and you'll fight for it, and that's great. And I have my conviction or my belief about that, but I'm not going to die for that. I'm not going to die for certain, certain beliefs. Here's the crazy thing. We all have different beliefs, and that should not keep us from worshiping together because we have different beliefs. However, you do need to find a church that you have the same convictions. And then everyone, you ready for this one? Come on now. Everybody's got an opinion. Can I get a witness, right? Everybody's got an opinion. And it's the opinions that have divided the church, split the church, and has caused more uh, havoc in the church is over opinions. For instance, should someone use new, uh, the NIV or the King James? That's an opinion. Should someone wear jeans and a t-shirt or wear a suit and a tie? That's an opinion. Should we have like drums and keyboards and electric guitars on stage or no music instruments at all? Those things are opinion. And it's those that have hurt the church, have split the church, and has kept more people from coming to church over an opinion. And what happens is people's opinion becomes the conviction. And when it becomes your conviction, then everything's in the conviction. And what happens is you miss the most serious conviction, the one that we will die for, and that's Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died, and three days later he got up, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a conviction that we have. So with that said, uh, understand we're all not going to believe everything the same, and that's okay, but you need to find a church that you have the same convictions, that, convic that you have the same convictions that you line up with, no matter where uh, some of the smaller beliefs that you may stand. So with that said, we've done uh, the first two Sundays, we did like big topic, rapid round. Last week we did rapid round, big topic, and we're going to do that again today. Rapid round, big topic, let's go. You ready? So let's go. 
Question number one, wrap around. Does the time really change next Sunday? Yes. Next Sunday, oh my gosh, we fall back an hour and we get an extra hour of sleep. Is that not amazing? Is that like awesome? I wish Congress would pass a law that never changes again. I understand that. They will never do that. Uh, I shouldn't say never. We can pray in the name of Jesus, right, that maybe that will happen. Uh, but the reality is next week is fall back, so you get an extra hour of sleep. And every time that happens, which I don't like that, but when it does, I'll make it goes to my mind. Sugar, cookies, chocolate, coffee, movies, let's go, right? I mean, that's just how my mind works. Pray for your pastor. He needs it all he can get. <laughs> Second question, what does the church logo mean, and is it a barcode? Like, is it a barcode? Is that what the church logo is that I see? Or is it a barcode? It actually, if you will take your phone out and you hold it over the barcode and you scan it, uh, you would actually get Aaron Rayburn's perfect dozen cinnamon rolls that he makes every single week. Can I get a witness, right? Like, Aaron, uh, Aaron is our campus pastor at the Grayson campus, and he can make some killer cinnamon rolls. I'm telling you what, they are amazing. I'm just kidding. You don't get free cinnamon rolls, and it's not a barcode. But thank you for asking. So let me just real quick break down uh, our logo. We really didn't... Uh, we kind of stumbled upon it, really, as we were looking through different things of branding the church and marketing the church, how that stuff works. And uh, when you take a look at the barcode, if you notice that there's a, like a, a smaller um, a, a line, a smaller bar, if you want to say that, and then a, a little bit bigger, and then a little bit bigger. We believe here at Better Life Church that following Jesus is just a series of taking next steps. And everyone has a next step to take. Some of you are going to take your next step, and you're going to get baptized today. That's the next step that you had to take. We believe if you take your next steps and follow Jesus, your perspective gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you look at our logo, every time you take a step, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The first thing we want you to do is kind of our discipleship process is we want you to learn about Jesus. How can you learn about Jesus? You can learn about Jesus by reading your Bible. You can learn about Jesus getting in a small group. You can learn about Jesus every Sunday here at Bear Life Church. There will never be a Sunday that you show up that we don't talk about Jesus. And then the second thing, if you look at the second part, it gets a little bit bigger. Once you learn about Jesus, guess what happens? You fall in love with him and you figure out how he wants to radically change your life. And then I say, no, you want to love like Jesus. We want you to love. That's the greatest command, right? Love God, love others. And as you love people, the two greatest ways to show people you love them, uh, 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 people around you, is that you bless them and you serve them. One mark of loving someone is to be generous and to serve them in some form or fashion. So we want you to love like Jesus. And the last one is the biggest step. And that's where we will ask you and train you and want you to lead like Jesus. This is where you as a disciple begin to make disciples. Where you begin to help people learn about Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus. And it just repeats itself over and over and over. So when you look at it, it's a series of taking next steps. And every time you take a next step in following Jesus, your perspective changes and your perspective gets bigger. And if you actually turn it around upside down, it kind of looks like steps when you walk up it. But reality is, that's, that's the meaning behind the logo. No, it's not a barcode and nothing magical will happen if you scan it. You can try it. Some of you, that was funny, you tried that. But anyway, um, today we're going to jump into something that I saved just for this moment. And that's what we're going to talk about, the spiritual gifts in the Bible, and what exactly are the spiritual gifts and things like that? I actually was going to do this. We go like Christian and alcohol and spiritual gifts, and then I realized after preparing that message that oh my gosh, I can't do that in 20 minutes. So let's add another Sunday to the You Ask for It series. I thought it wouldn't it be great on our, uh, our our Halloween costume party we're throwing on for our kids to talk about the spooky gifts that the spiritual like that the Holy Spirit gives us. So if you intrigued that, sounds like oh my gosh, I picked the wrong Sunday to come. We are so glad that you are here, and welcome to Better Life. 
church. So here's the questions I'm going to answer. What are the spiritual gifts? Why did God give us spiritual gifts? Do they still exist today? And I'm talking about the big ones like prophecy, speaking in tongues, miracles, healings, all that jazz. What are some of the most spooky? Why are some of the most spooky or spiritual gifts so controversial in the churches today? And then lastly, here's the big question we always ask. What do you want me to do? Like what, what's my next step uh, of learning what we're about to walk, walk through today. So I'm telling you what, you picked a great Sunday. Get your Bibles, go to me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to bounce between verse chapter 12, 13, and 14. Uh, but I'm going to give you a list of some of the gifts. So what are the gifts? Here's what you need to know. The Bible doesn't exhaust all the gifts. There are spiritual gifts that God gives that are not even mentioned in the Bible. When Paul begins to write some of the gifts, he doesn't put them all together every single time. Like here's the spiritual gifts, and he lists them. Here's the spiritual gifts, and he lists them. He actually, some of them cross each other, but some of them are very different. So if you want to just take some notes and write this down, you can read it on your own because of the time. Uh, we don't have time to jump into every one of these. But in Romans chapter 12, we see there's the gifts of exhortation. This is the urging and persuading people uh, to accept Jesus, to, to give their life to the Lord. We see the gift of giving. That is a gift. I know I'm not talking about your tithing. Tithing is not the gift of giving. That's what God has standard for us. For us, And some of you say, what in the world is tithing? Why 10%? That's crazy because I give half of my tax, all my stuff to the government anyway. And then God requires me to do this. And so many people are so confused about a principle that it's not even confusing. It's not even a really big deal if you really walk it out. And over the next few weeks, I'll share some of that with you, what that actually looks like and things like that. But somebody, this is the gift of giving if somebody just had that gift. Like they're always generous. They're always blessing. They always want to help people out. They give and they give sacrificially. This this is, this is not a tie. This is above and beyond. Then there's the gift of leadership. Leadership is just influence. Some of you have that gift that people just follow you. You influence them and you can rally the troops. But really, honestly, all of us are leaders in some form of fashion. Even if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have the influence of your children, which makes you a leader. So don't think you're not a leader. People who, who think they're not a leader, it's just influence. Then you have the gift of mercy. My wife does not have this gift whatsoever. Can I get a witness, honey? She says, she's like, preach it, bro, preach it. She doesn't have the gift of mercy. That's okay. She doesn't have it. I have it. So I cry. She doesn't. So that's just how it works. But so many people have the gift of mercy, and you just have so much mercy for people and compassion for them. And they're the ones that they're always there. They want to hear your problems. They want to walk through things with you. They feel what you feel. And they just have this gift to mercy and, and to help other people. Then there's the gift of prophecy found there in uh, Romans chapter 12. I'll talk about that in a moment. There's a gift of service. Have you ever met someone who has that gift of service? Like they always want to serve. Like every time the church doors are open, they're there. I'll set up chairs. I'll clean the bathrooms. I'll, I'll do this. I'll dress up for kids, you know, costume party. Like you need me, I'm there. I'll be there. Like they have the gift. Some of you had that gift and you didn't even know it was a gift. You just think, oh my gosh, this is how I'm wired. It's my DNA. I just love serving people. That's a gift. And God wants you to use your gift to edify and build up the church. And then there's a gift of teaching. There's a gift of teaching. Now, let me go and say this. Just because you have a gift of knowledge doesn't mean you should be a teacher. Right? We've all know that. You can have people who have all the degrees. They went through all the school. They got all the education. They got more book smarts than you could ever imagine in your life. And then they sit down. They try to teach somebody what they know. And they put you to sleep. And they're boring. And they're lethargical. And they don't even, you, you, you've already lost them. Because they they have the knowledge they don't teach. They don't have the gift of teaching. And that's okay. Because not everyone has the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is taking something, breaking it down where people can understand it in such a way that they can connect with it. Then there's Ephesians chapter 4. There's a list of the gifts. There's an apostle. Now, this is not what apostle today, if you want to say that, please never call me apostle. But if you want to say, like people say, there's the apostle so-and-so. To be an apostle in the first century, which means you had to see Jesus face-to-face. -face. That was a requirement 
to be an apostle. That's why Paul called himself an apostle because if you remember, Jesus not kind of knocked him off his donkey and stuff and had a conversation with him and he saw the risen Savior, he would be considered an apostle. That type of apostleship of that is have died off, but there is the gift of apostle. And it really, what you look at it is, it's more of someone who leads and influence multiple, multiple ministries. Like people and pastors today that over like multi-site ministries, network of ministries, they like service multiple churches. This will be kind of the hedge of an apostleship of today, but not so much as we thought about what apostle had been in the first century. Then there's an evangelist. There's people who have the gift of evangelizing. They didn't share the gospel. People get saved. It's just how God used them. There's the gift of a pastor. Thank goodness for that gift, right? We have a gift that's a pastor. There's a gift of prophecy again. We'll come back to that. And then uh, there's the gift of teaching again in Ephesians chapter 4. And then there's some random verses that talk about gifts are not listed. For instance, there's a gift of celibacy. Did you know that's a gift? That God gives a gift. There's a gift of celibacy. There's a gift of hospitality. Like some of you right now, you just love to entertain. You love to cook and do all the knickknacks and you do everything and you like to organize and you make everything look so good and, and package. You just want people to come over and you, you're so hospitable. And here's what happens. You go, well, that's just who I am. I'm just wired that way. No, that's a gift. God gave you a gift to be hospitable and he wants you to use that gift to edify the body. And then there's a the gift of a missionary. This is someone who goes, you know what? I'm leaving it all, bending it all, and I'm going for the sake of the gospel. Some people have that gift to go and do that when I think about career missionaries however most of you or the question that was posed to me pastor where do you stand it was specifically on the gift of speaking in tongues like where's your stance on this and all this stuff so we'll talk about all the gifts and these gifts are found in first corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 and that's what we're going to focus on and we're going to walk through that but before we jump into those things the question is why did god give them in the first place like why did god give spiritual gifts in the first place. I am so glad you asked that question. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 7. It says a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Each of us. Look at the person sit beside you and say, you got a gift. Tell them. Look at the second choice on the other side. Say, you got a gift too. I right, tell them. Now look at whoever you want says, now give me a gift. I'm just saying, I'm trying to help you out here. So, you know, give me a gift, right? Don't miss this. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. So we can what? Serve ourselves? Edify ourselves? No, God gave every single one of you a gift to help each other. Listen to me. Every Christian on the planet has a spiritual gift. If you've given your life to Jesus and you're following Jesus, God has given you a specific spiritual gift that he doesn't, he's not asking to use it for you. He wants you to use it to build and to edify the body of Christ. I'll show you that just in a moment. If you keep reading down the verse 11, it says it's the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts. Now, please, let me help some of you in your theology and your thinking through this. I'm a man. I cannot give you a spiritual gift. I cannot lay hands on you to give you a gift. It's not up to me to give you a gift. It's the Holy Spirit of God who goes, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. No, you get a gift. You get a gift. You get a gift. And I'm going to give you, the Holy Spirit is, the gift he wants you to have. And here's the reality. Not every one of us have all the gifts. And there's some gifts you will not have. I don't get to determine who gets the gift. If you came to say, Pastor, lay hands on me. I want this gift. I, I can't give you a gift. It's only the Holy Spirit who gets to determine who and when gets a specific gift. So with that said, do the gifts, the big gifts, 
the controversial gifts, the signs, the wonder, the miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, miracles, prophecy, all that stuff, do they still exist today? And if they still exist today in the church, how does the church function with the spiritual gifts? That's exactly what Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. So before we go there, let's go in the middle, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it says this in verse 8. Love never ends, but if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it too will be set aside. For we know in part, what is Paul saying? Now, on this side of heaven, I only know in partial. Now understand, this is God that got called up to the third heaven. God did miraculous things to him. He goes, man, I don't even know it all. He says in verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. We only speak truth in part because we don't know all of it, all the whole. And then verse 10, and this is where the problem gets that has divided, uh, probably denominations, divided churches of the spiritual gifts is over verse 10. And how you interpret verse 10 will determine on what camp you fall into. And verse 10 says, but when what is perfect, what is complete comes then the partial, what does it mean, the partial? Remember, the Bible is the best interpretation for the Bible. What's impartial? Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. The partial then will be set aside, which means this. We will not need those gifts anymore. So as a Bible student, you're reading this, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the perfect? And how you answer that question will determine on what camp you fall into. Some of you... You've been raised one way or the other to believe a certain belief about that verse. Some of you, you don't even know what you believe. I didn't even know that was there. I didn't even know what a spiritual gift was. But if you got a gift, I'll take a gift. See me in the next step area, right? I mean, you want the gift. Like, you're like, I don't even care. Just, I didn't even know that was even in there. But some of you, like, really die hardcore. And, and because what you have is you have, like, this, these spiritual gift phobia folks over here. And then you got like the cray crazies over here. You know what I'm saying? Like you're going in chandeliers, everybody's swinging from it, everybody's got a tambourine. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't get one of those, right? Like, and you're like, how do you bring balance to the force when you're so scared? Like we don't talk about gifts, we don't look at gifts because they're spooky. I don't know what to do with it. And then you got over here, this group over here, there's a demon behind every single bush, y'all. I don't know why I get to that voice when I think about that, right? These are the people who go, the devil's after me today. The devil, my battery died and the devil thinks he's going to take my battery for me, but he ain't taking my battery today. No, honey, your battery just died, okay? The devil has way more important things than to take it back. Well, the devil's after me today. He threw a nail out there, and I got a flat tire, and that devil ain't going to stop me from getting to work. No, you just went over a nail, honey. You know what I'm saying? It's not the devil. Calm down, right? Sorry, that's that camp. You know what I'm saying? How do you bring balance to the force when you look at the text, and what is the perfect? Now, for those of you who says the gifts have ceased, the gifts no longer operate, we don't need signs and wonders and miracles. Here's what you were taught when it comes to this verse. You have been taught that the word perfect, when the perfect comes, is the Bible. Now, you got to understand something. Let me make sure I'm on the same page with you. I have an unbelievable high standard and value of God's Word. Ultra conservative when it comes to God. Word. I believe it. It's true. I've based my life. I've based my calling. I've based my eternity on the pages of this book. Very high view of scripture. But you have been taught that the perfect was the Bible. 
And now that we have the Bible, we don't need signs, we don't need wonders, we don't need miracles anymore because we have the complete revelation of God, which is still partial, Paul said. We don't know the whole. There's some things in here God just didn't tell us everything. And if we don't know everything, do you want to know a God that you can explain? I mean, do you want to follow that? Like, do you not want to follow? You, you say, I can't explain him. If we can explain fully of God, would he be worthy of following? Like, there's some things about God I just don't know. That I just don't know. So what happens is you've been told when the Bible was completed, and let's just for history's sake just round it up to 400 A.D., there's some Jews and some Christians got together and they're like, okay, what books of the Bible was inspired by God? Let's take that one of the Apocrypha. Uh, I don't know about that. Catholics, let's put it in the Bible. Uh, pro, uh, evangelicals, now nah, let's just take that part out. And there's this group of guys got together and said, here's the 66 books of the Bible. We believe they're inspired by God. And this is called the canon. And they closed the canon. They became they closed it and now this is the perfect word of God and we don't need no more signs we don't need no more wonders we don't need no more miracles for some of you that's how you were raised to believe the word perfect was the perfect word of God but that's not what the text says and this is really going to challenge you in your theology and how you've been taught how you've been raised about that specific verse you need to know something about your pastor I wasn't raised in church I wasn't indoctrinated one way or the other. I gave my life to Jesus, September 2nd, 1997. I opened my Bible and let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. And let the Bible speak for the Bible. Paul was not writing in 1 Corinthians here going, you know what? There's going to be a day where a bunch of Jews and Christians get together. And they're going to close the book. They're going to canonize the book. It's going to be the perfect word of God. And at that moment when that perfect comes, all the miracles will cease. That is not what Paul had in mind. If you keep reading, verse 12 interprets what he means. Keep reading. Look what he says. He says, for now in the present, we see in a mirror indirectly. I wish I had time to jump in that. There's a connection there to uh, the Greeks and everything. They're, they're obsessed with all these mirrors and all this stuff. There's also reflection here. When, when Moses talked to God face to face through a vision, through a mirror, he could see. We don't have time really to jump in all that. But here's what he's saying. For now, today, in the present, we see in a mirror indirectly. But then... See the contrast, but now, but then, but now, but then we will see face to face. Now in part, but then we will know fully. I only know partial, but then, when's then? See, if you're a Bible student, like, when's then? What is he talking? And then you will know fully, just as I have been fully known. I love that. He goes, God knows me fully, but I don't know fully. God knows everything about me, but I don't know everything about him. But there will come a day that I will. Verse 12 explains what the perfect is. Verse 12 says the perfection will come when you see Jesus face to face. What you know now, you will know in full. What you see now, you will see in full. And it's then when you are perfected in Christ, when you get to heaven, we will need no more signs and wonders and miracles and tongues and prophecy and all these miracles. Why? Because you will be perfected in Christ. So Paul says the perfection comes when you see Jesus face to face. So, with that said, when you read that passage, the gifts, according to how I interpret the scripture, is still active today. The gifts of prophecy and miracles and healings and tongues and all this stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, if that is true, how does that work? Like, how does that even work? And how, how do we walk through some of these problems that we see in the church now some of you right now that just kind of went against maybe how you were taught 
And that's okay. That's great. Welcome to Better Life Church. Anything I say that drives you to your Bible and wants you to study the Bible, like go home and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and listen to what Paul says about and let the Bible interpret the Bible. But when the perfection comes, it's not when we completed the canyon or the consummation of the church. It's when Jesus, we see him face to face. We won't need it. So if that's true, how do we handle the spiritual gifts today in the 21st century? Today in our church. So let's give a little bit of perspective, then we'll jump into some of these controversial gifts, and here's, well, I'll walk you through them. Here's some perspective. There's usually kind of four camps here. Uh, one, there's the sensationist. The sensationists say this, that the gifts have ceased. That's why they're called sensationists. They ceased. We don't need them no more. We've got the Bible. We don't need miracles. We don't need wonders. We don't need healings like that. No, 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 no. We don't need that. The Bible's all we need. It's all we have. I'm here to tell you, the Trinity is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. I have a very high view of Scripture, but the Trinity is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is living and it's active today in our lives, how He uses the Word of God in our lives. And so the sensationists will say they have ceased, but then there's the continuist. The continuist would believe that the gifts have continued. The gifts still operate today. I fall into that camp, that they still continue, because there's nowhere in the Scripture we see that they had to end or they would have ended. Because I can show you through, through in my experience and in my own life what some of those that you think are, are gifts still are active today. So how do you deal with that when they're still active when the perfection comes? Because the perfection wasn't the canon. The confection is, perfection is when we see Jesus face to face. So real quick, you have a Pentecostal and then you have a charismatic. Did you know there's a difference between the two? See, a lot of times we blur those two together and rightfully so because they believe in the gifts. But there's a difference between the two. So, for instance, the Pentecostal will say this, that the evidence that you have the baptism of the Spirit in your life is that you speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, number one, you haven't been baptized in the Spirit. Number two, you must have a problem with you and you better fix it. Or number three, you better fake it. That's a Pentecostal. You better fix it. You won't fake it. You better get something right, something right with you. You don't speak in tongues, something wrong with you. Not wrong with God, something wrong with you. And I talked to one of my uh, charismatic friends this week, and I was on the phone with him. He's 67 years old, pastor, been in the, this denomination for his entire life. And we were talking, talking, talking about it. And he talked about how he was raised up in it, how honestly, because he felt so convicted that everybody said something was wrong with him because he didn't speak in tongue, that he faked it. And now he, he says, now as a charismatic pastor leading a church and all this stuff, he said, I haven't spoken tongues in 25 years. Why? Because that's not a gift. I faked a gift that I never had. And this is coming from my brother in Christ who is in this, in, this, in this, as you would say, maybe denomination or how that works. So if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, and if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, something wrong with you. Now, for instance, I've talked about this. i talked about there's not a second baptism of the Spirit. There's a constant filling of the Spirit. I think they get those confused, but it's not a second wave of the Spirit of God. I was Spirit-filled, y'all, on September 2nd, 1997, when I gave my life to Jesus. He filled me to the core. But I can yield my life to him when I yield that I am filled. So we do see where God's spirit comes upon people in a great way. Then you have the charismatic. Now the charismatic side will say, you know what? We believe all the gifts. We believe they're still active today. But not everyone has a specific gift. Like it's okay. You don't have the gift of speaking in tongues. That's all right. You don't have that gift. No, no, no. I don't look down on you. I don't judge you. You just don't have that gift. And so there's, a, that, that, there's some more difference between the two, but the big camp is you got to be baptized in the Spirit, and the charismatic is like, well, I mean, yeah, you, you need the Spirit powered in your life, but if you don't have that gift, it's okay. You just don't have that specific gift. And then there's, a middle, then there's kind of the middle, and this is the people who say, I believe the gifts exist, 
But I'm cautious to see that they're not carried out the way the Bible tells them to be carried out today. And it's probably some of us, and probably myself, I kind of fall in, in, into that camp. You're like, well, Pastor, then what are you? Well, I guess I'm a charismatic Southern Baptist. I don't know. That's kind of a, a mixed up group of people right there, right? Yeah, I'm, I believe in the Southern, I, I lean the Southern Baptist more that way in the theology stuff, but I'm a charismatic, I'm a charismatic with the seatbelt on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's me, right? Because I do believe that they still are active and I still they are a gift. I just don't know if they're being used the way that the scripture has called them to be used. So if you're here visiting with going, oh my gosh, what kind of church have I visited to? I promise you, we don't have vans with flames on it. And on the sides it has words like Holy Ghost, Anointed One, Revival, Dominion, Shekinah Glory, stenciled on it. That is not us. If you have that van, that'd be cool. But that's not the van like, like we have. So how do you reconcile this? Well, number one, we've been baptized into one spirit. It's the Spirit of God that brings unity, but it's the gifts of God that brings diversity into the family of God. We are unified into one Spirit. Whether you call your kid Pentecostal or Charismatic or Church of God or Methodist, we, watch this, we have been baptized into one Spirit. God only has one church, y'all. Y'all know that, don't you? He only has one church. So we have been baptized, watch this, into one Spirit, Paul writes, into the unity of our faith. So the big gifts... I'm going to try to do this in 10 minutes. Y'all need to really pray for me as to walk through this. Well, what about the ones in chapter 8 and 10, the ones that you kind of like, ah, I just don't know, they're kind of controversial ones. Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's jump into that. Why? Because this is the place we should be able to talk about it. We shouldn't be afraid to talk through these things or ask these questions. These are a great place, and the church should be the place that we edify the body by lifting up Jesus and explaining the Scripture. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. It says this, for one person there's given the Spirit the message of wisdom. So someone has a gift of wisdom. To another one, a gift of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another one, the gift of faith. To another one, I'm just going through this, a gift of healings. To another one, the gift of miracles. To another one, a gift of prophecy. To another one, there's a discerning of spirits, like right from wrong. Is this good or bad? Is this evil or is this from God? Is this from the devil? There's a gift of different tongues. There's a gift of interpretation of tongues. So let's walk through these in nine minutes. <laughs> Here we go. First, the gift of wisdom. Here's what I believe. Some of you are going to realize that you have these gifts and you didn't even know you had them. What is the gift of wisdom? The gift of wisdom is when the Spirit of God gives you an insight into His will, His ways, and His Word. That you are able to apply the knowledge of God into people's lives into their specific situation, maybe they're making a decision, maybe they got a circumstance going through, and God has spoken to you through his word that you would then speak wisdom into someone's life. So many of you do this and you don't even know it's a gift. Have you, have you been sitting around somewhere and you've been praying for someone and someone God brings to their mind and all of a sudden you go to them and say, hey man, I've just been thinking about you today and I'm reading my quiet time and God gave me this verse and I just want to share this verse with you. And all of a sudden they go, oh my gosh, I've been going through that. I didn't know that's what I needed. When the Spirit of God gave you wisdom into someone's circumstance or sight, and you were able to add value and add wisdom to their life situation. Folks, that's a gift of wisdom. That still operates today. So you don't have to be spooked out about all this stuff. And then there's the gift of knowledge. This is the person who just gets it, man. I mean, they get in God's Word, and they're studying God's Word, and the Spirit of God has just given them an intuition to His Word. I mean, they know it frontwards and backwards. They get it. They understand it. I mean, they're full of the Word. And, they know, and usually wisdom and knowledge and prophecy go hand in hand because you see them kind of connected. I'll show you that just in a moment. But they're inside of God's Word, and they're so knowledgeable about it that they give you knowledge and impart knowledge to you from God's deep, deep scriptures. This gift is still valid today, the gift of knowledge. And then there's the gift of faith. 
I'm not talking about salvation faith. I'm talking about faith that they believe. Have you ever met people like that? They just have faith. Oh, I just can't believe that's happened. I couldn't imagine going through it. Well, God is my rock, and he's going to stand firm. I'm like, where do you get your faith, girl? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever met people like that? They just have that gift of faith in their life that is a gift. Not just a salvation faith, but the gift to believe that God can, God will, and God will come through in your life. That, my friends, are still active today. And then they're the gift. I'm going to put these two together, healing and miracles. Folks, this is still active. Healing and miracles today. This is the gift where God uses you. He's like a conduit to, to, to help people in their life. Let me give you an example. God is using you to help people either become physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually well. Do you know that my counselor, I believe, has the gift of healing? Because God used him to heal me emotionally. See, we always think of healing as someone with a, a withered hand or someone who couldn't walk and all of a sudden God healed them. God can heal you mentally. God can heal you emotionally. God can and will heal you physically. We see this. But here's the problem with so many people. TV has ruined this because you see people waving stuff down and everyone's falling down and everyone's getting healed. Folks, I never forget. When I gave my life to Jesus, I was a very new Christian. I got my Bible and it's really, it's really when it had like all the gold stuff in it. You didn't want to crinkle your Bible because you love the gold flakes and the gold pa you know, pages of it. Like, please don't bend and crease my Bible. It's so pretty and shiny. And, and I went to church and my friend said, would you go to church with me? And I was like, sure, I'll go to church with you. And I didn't know it was going to last three hours. Your boy hungry. I want to play some ball. It's Sunday. I just gave my life to the Lord. And so he introduced to the pastor. The pastor knew I was there, and the pastor knew I was new. There's, there weren't that many people in the church, maybe 40, 50 people. And we're sitting there going, okay, okay. And everybody's dancing. Everybody's got tambourines, and everything's going on. I'm like, this is okay, cool. I got a little bit of rhythm, so I'm just like bouncing with them. I'm like, everything's fine. And all of a sudden he goes, Daniel, come here. I didn't know what to do, man. I froze. And I'm like, is there another Daniel in the house? And then who's he talking to? He's like, Daniel, you come here. And I'm like, okay, I'm making my way out of the pew. You know, I'm scooting over. And, and then I go forward. And he's like, man, God's going to do something. He's you know, speaking to me and all stuff. And then I'm saying, okay. And he goes, now pray. And I'm sitting there praying. And he pushes me. I'm like, boy, you push me one more time. We're going to go through rounds. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I come from the hood. You know, you don't know. You don't push a bro. Like, and, he, and he pushes me. And I'm like, okay. And then he pushes me. I'm like, yeah. And he pushes me. And then I kind of peeked and looked, and I noticed people falling down. So he pushes me, and bam, I just fell. Because <laughs> everybody else was falling. I just fell because everybody else fell. I didn't know not to. I didn't know you were supposed to fake it. And so I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever coming back here, man. God pushing me, touching me up in my grill. I'm on the frown. Some girls over, and they covered her up with a blanket because her skirt was on. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, what in the world? See, some of you, that's been your experience, and here's what happens. I'm not being mean. That's weird, y'all. <laughs> like, that's freaky. Like, oh, my gosh, that's kind of scary. Like, it's like, I'll go to Uncle Johnny's church sometimes, and that's what happens. Listen, listen, listen. What do you mean with these healing and miracles? I've seen God do this in people's lives. I've laid hands on people and prayed for God to heal them, and God has healed them. I've laid hands on people for God to heal them, and God did not heal them the way I thought they were healed. And depending on what camp you fall in, here's what they say. Well, you didn't have enough faith. Here's what you got to understand. I'm not the healer. God is the healer. I can't heal you. I can't save you. I can't fix you. But there are some people when they pray, God just listens and answers the prayer. That's who you want to pray for you when you're sick. That's who you want God to, you to pray for you when you're going through something in your life. So you got to lay hands on me and pray. We will lay hands and pray for you. But listen to me. This is hard for some people. Some people, it's not God's will to heal them the way you think they should be healed. 
And that challenges and wrecks so many people's faith who are on the charismatic or the faith side or the Pentecostal side who believes if you have enough faith, God will do it. And then God doesn't do it, then it shatters your faith. Because he didn't do it the way that you thought it should be done. Because there's a balance that I believe God can, but even if he doesn't, he's worthy of my praise. And he's worthy to follow if he doesn't heal. He actually did heal him. He gave him the ultimate healing and he saw him face to face where he needed no more miracles and no more healings and no more prophecies to be spoken to him because he saw Jesus face to face. My friend Clayton King, he's preached here before, you guys know him. Clayton King, he went to, uh, he was doing a mission work and the lady was giving birth and they didn't have the medical things around and they thought he was a king because his last name was Clayton King. So they treated him like a king. And the lady said through an interpreter, I will believe your God if my baby lives. Well, they didn't know she was, had twins. And they gave birth to the first baby. The baby was stillborn. And they took the stillborn baby. And Clayton was going, oh, my gosh, what am I going to tell this lady? Took the stillborn baby and set the baby over to the side because she didn't know she was pregnant with another one. And they gave birth to the next child. They laid the child over. And she's mourning and rejoicing at the same time. And she goes, where's your God? Clayton walks over, got people together, laid hand on this baby that was been there for 30 minutes and prayed. And God brought that baby back to life. That should not shock none of us. If God can speak the universe into existence, he could bring a baby back from the dead. That stuff still happens. But we don't believe it. Folks, that stuff is real and it happens today. We see this over and over and over and over. I don't have time, but it's really when God just uses somebody in a supernatural way to do things. That should not shock us whatsoever. Whatsoever that God can do that. And then there's the gift, and here's the two big ones, and I got a minute and 53 seconds, the ones you've been waiting on. Prophecy and speaking in tongues. Here's your homework. Go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because Paul knew that this would be the disruption in the church, disruption with it, so he writes an entire chapter on prophecy and speaking in tongues. Entire chapter. Somebody's like, well, I, don't, I haven't read that in years. I don't even know if it's even I believe it or not. Go home and read the Bible. And ask the Bible to speak to you. Ask God to speak to you about reading his word. And here's what you see here. When you think of prophecy, a prophecy is the ability to take God's word and to apply it and to speak it into people's life that edifies them and builds them up. It's when God gives you a supernatural word according to his word that builds someone up. Let me give you an example. My pastor friend, Pastor Allen, he pastors the Emmanuel Baptist Church. He's also one of our overseers here at Better Life Church. He never texts me ever on Sunday morning. Never texts me. Um, we text each other through the week. We keep in touch with each other. We never text me really on Sunday morning. This morning I'm laying here, I'm thinking about today. And I'm praying, there's specific things that I've been praying about. God, I need you to and help me. And, and even though that I've not experienced some of the things that I'm teaching today, does not mean they're not true. We said this all the time. When how I feel or what I think contradicts what God says, God's word wins every time. Let the Bible interpret the Bible, and we will be okay when the Bible interprets the Bible. So I'm sitting there praying about my insecurities, about my inadequacies, and I'm just not really a theologian. I'm not a scholar when it comes to this. I'm just a, just a simpleton, just a simple kind of guy to try to take hard concepts and break it down so people can understand it in simple ways. And I'm sitting there saying, so God, I need you like I never need you before to show up in my life and all that stuff. So I jump in the shower, and I get out, and I check my phone, and I got a text message from Pastor Allen. And Pastor Allen said, hey, God put you on my heart this morning. I was just praying for you, and, and here's what I believe that he wants you to. And he sent me a verse. I'm not going to share the verse with you, but when I read that verse, I just cried. And I just cried because it's exactly what I needed to hear. And I'm, and, and I'm sitting here today. I'm not glorifying Pastor Allen going, he's just a prophet. He's just got the gift of prophecy, and God spoke to him. You know what I glorified? I glorified God used him to speak to me. 
And some of you have this gift. In fact, you'll see if you read verse 1 that God desires for all of you to prophesy. There comes a day where he says, I will pour my spirit out on people and my daughters and my son will prophesy. Don't get caught up. He's not saying on, on 2025, on October the 2nd at 6 p.m., this is going to happen in life. He's not, there's no more walking day prophets today. I'm not going to say something that you're going to say, oh, that was good. We should add Daniel, 2 Daniel to the Bible and add that to the scripture. There's no more of those prophets today. But God says you can prophesy over people when my spirit gives you a word from the word to speak into their life. And some of you have this gift and you didn't even know it was a gift. And we should not be spooked out by that. You know what I'm saying? Someone's texted you a verse at the right time. You go, oh my gosh, I needed that because I'm going through this. Why should that shock us that God can do things like that? That we can prophesy and speak God's word. But listen to me, don't come up to me and say, God told me to tell you. If you come up to me and you say, God told me to tell you, you better pull your Bible out and tell me what he told me through his word. Paul says, don't despise prophecies. Weigh them. Test them. So I don't go up to people and say, God told me to tell you this. I go up to people and say, listen, God just really put this impression on me. And I don't know what he's doing in your life right now. But I'm going to share this with you. And you need to go and test this to your circumstance, to his word and what's going on in your life. And see what God wants to say through this. Because why? This could be me. It could be a bad burrito I ate last night. Or God speaking through me to speak to you. Go and test it. So if you're having marital problems and there's been no sexual sin in your marriage and you're just like, I just kind of don't like him no more and we're not getting along no more. And your broke sister-in-law comes up to you and she goes, honey, I, I'd leave him. God told me to tell you to leave him. She didn't hear from the Lord. Because God never said that. So everything when someone has a word, if you got a word for me, bring your word. You want to prophesy and speak something, speak it, but you better back it up with Scripture. Back it up that you're saying what God has already spoken. So when I go to someone and say, hey, listen, God wants me to impress upon me to tell you that he loves you and he forgives you. I got verses to back that up, honey. Because he's already spoke that to you. And God wants to use you, watch this, to prophesy and speak over someone else. We're not talking foretelling like this is going to happen in your life. And when you turn 72 years old, you're going to hit the lottery. You better tithe. No, I'm joking. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's not going to do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where God, you are so in tune with his spirit and his word that he brings back to mind. He goes, I got to speak this to you. That's all that is. That should not freak you, us out. And then there's the gift of tongues. And that was probably the most controversial because some people thought, I just don't know how that works and, and all that jazz and, and what does that even look like. But really, when you, work, when you look through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, really when you compare the two, the whole chapter was written on tongues and prophecy. Paul says this, prophecy speaks to the church. It's prophetic. It builds the church and encourages the church. I do this every single Sunday. I take a word of knowledge from the scripture and wisdom and I speak it into your life, how it can change and apply to your life. And I prophesy his word, not my word, but what his word has already said. We see this happen every single Sunday. But I'm not the only one that has this gift to speak God's word in the people's circumstance or situation. Watch this. It builds up the church, but tongues builds up the person. Tongue edifies yourself. Prophecy edifies the church. You can read all through 1 Corinthians 14. Prophecy is a sign for believers. Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. One of the ways that the gospel spread is through speaking of tongues. It was, it was a miraculous sign for the non-Jews non and Jews alike to understand what God was doing. How do I practice prophesying? And I'll talk about this in a minute. How do I practice tongues today in our corporate setting? Like, how do I do this? That's exactly what 1 Corinthians 14 was all about. 
Practicing prophesying is this. The greatest way that you can practice the prophesy in people's life is to get in God's Word, study God's Word, being so in tune to His Word and His Spirit that when He gives you something to share, you share it from His Word. Any of you can do this. Whether you say, I have the gift of doing it, that's okay, but you can be so in tune to the Spirit that you can speak life over people. That's what it means to prophesy. Don't get all caught up in all this mystic stuff. We don't have to on this. It's where I give wisdom into a situation. I give knowledge of God's word into a situation. And I speak it into a situation. Paul says, out of all the gifts, desire that one. Pursue that one. Paul would not told you to eagerly pursue it if he didn't think that God would want to give that to you. Pursue it. And seek it. And then when you speak over people, speak from his word into people's life. And then the practicing of tongues. Now, in Acts chapter 2, real quick, the Spirit of God came, birthed the church. And when we see tongues there, it was like when I would speak in English, but you didn't speak English, and you speak Portuguese, and you speak Spanish, and you speak Russian, that you would hear me in your native language. You wouldn't need an interpreter. And you're going, oh my gosh, I don't know English, but he's speaking, and I hear it in Hebrew. I hear it in Aramaic. I hear it in, in Greek. You're hearing it in your native tongue. Folks, do you know that still happens today? There's been missionaries that come back and go, listen, I begin to speak, and they say, we don't need an interpreter. We can hear exactly what you're saying through your language. That still happens today. That should not surprise us. We should not be spooked out by that, that God can do those things. And I, we've seen God, honestly, we're seeing God do more work in the mission field where they believe that God, that's all they have is God can come through. But then Paul says there's a corporate use of tongue and there's a private use. And this is where the, the friction comes. How do you practice speaking in tongues corporately? How do you practice it privately? Now, what do we know about tongues? What we know, according to the text, is that it is a language that you, as you speak it, do not know the language, that you do not know what exactly what the Spirit is praying through you whatsoever. It is not a divine, ecstatic utterance that you begin to do because you fell into a trance. That is not Scripture. In fact, Paul says this, I pray with my mind and I pray with my spirit. I praise with my mind, I praise with my spirit. What is he saying? I distinguish between I know logically what I'm saying, I know not logically what I'm saying. Which means this, it was self-controlled. One of the fruits of the Spirit in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is self-control. This gift is a self-controlled gift. It's not a sporadic utterance that just happens when you begin to walk or whatever it may be. And in a static state, it is self-control. So here's what Paul says. If you're going to speak in tongue in a corporate worship setting... You better make sure there's someone to interpret it. You better make sure you know someone has the gift to say, I heard exactly what you said. Here's what it means. Because watch this. When someone speaks in tongue and someone interprets the tongue, watch this. It edifies and it builds up the church. If you begin to speak in tongues and no one knows to interpret it, all you do is edify yourself, which is not beneficial to the church. So what Paul says is keep it private. If it's your private prayer language, then keep it private. He goes on and says this. Because, see, you got to understand, the Corinthians thought they were like X-Men when it comes to, like, the spiritual gifts. They got, like, spotty sense spiritual gifts all over. I mean, they thought they were these, like, like, like you know, all the Spider-Man and Superman. They thought they had the best of the gift. And Paul said, Joe, listen, I've been caught up to the third heaven. I speak in tongues more than any of you. Calm down, calm down, calm down. But Paul says this, I would rather speak five intelligent words than 10,000 words in tongues. Why did Paul say that? He said 10,000, which was the highest number that the Greeks knew at the time. For us, that would be like a zillion 
He goes, I can speak all infinite language in an unknown tongue, and it will not build up the church. However, because of that, I choose to keep my tongue private, and I will speak prophecy. I will speak Jesus Christ crucified. I will speak his word because that's what builds and edifies the church. Here's the problem. I've never been in a situation in a church service where that was biblically practiced out that way. Because I have been in there and everyone is that are shouting and everyone is speaking in tongues and no one's there is interpreting. Paul says, be quiet. Because people are confused and think you've lost your mind. Because I think when they get that gift, they've arrived. And Paul said, the only warning of the gift that Paul preached, the only one that Paul puts parameters around is the one speaking in tongues because he knows it could bring confusion and in the body. So if you got the language, keep it private. If you're going to make it public, you better make sure somebody, you know somebody had to interpret it. Because then it edifies and speaks to the body. We shouldn't be shocked by none of this stuff. When you read through this stuff. Now, obviously, not everyone has this gift. So the Pentecostal will say, well, then you're not been baptized in the Spirit. I got baptized in the Spirit. September 2nd, 1997, when I gave my life to the Lord. I've prayed for this gift. God's not giving me this gift. I had people lay their hands on me 20 years ago and prayed for me to receive it. I still haven't received it. I'm not walking around going, oh my gosh, look at all these other gifts God gave me, but I want that one. I don't give gifts. Only God gives gifts. And he gives to the body how he fits. So we should not be afraid of this. Real quick. So 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says this. Let love be your highest goal. Isn't it amazing? Chapter 12 is about the gifts. Chapter 14 is about the gifts. And chapter 13 is about love. You think Paul is going, someday ministers are going to need 1 Corinthians 13 to do at weddings. So I better put this wedding chapter right here. What is Paul saying? If you don't have love, you'll never use your gift right. Love never fades. Love never ends. You better love. And if you love, you'll practice your gift away. What could it say in verse 1? Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire special abilities in the Spirit that gives, watch this, especially the ability to prophesy. He's talking to you. Get so in tune with the Spirit. Get so in tune for His Word. Get so in tune to walking with Jesus that when He speaks through you, you're ready to speak. Desire it, He says. Verse 12, since you are eager to have a special abilities in the Spirit, seek those that strengthens the whole church, that builds the whole church up. The only gift that builds you up is tongues. Everything else builds the church. He goes, if you're going to seek after a gift, pray and ask God to give you a gift to build the church up. So look what he says in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, let's summarize this. You're like, please, let's summarize. I'm hungry. Let's get on. Almost hang tight. Watch this. Let's summarize this. When you meet together, corporate worship, one will sing, one will teach, one will tell a special revelation, one will speak in a tongue, one will interpret a tongue. But everything has to be done that strengthens all of you. If it's going to be done, make sure it strengthens all of you. He didn't say this is the order of the church. He says sometimes this will happen. But make sure when it does, it strengthens the church. Folks, listen, I'm going to be pretty hard on you right here, okay? Can I have permission to step on your toes? The majority of you come here every single week and you're nothing but a consumer. You consume, consume, consume. You come and going, what's for me? Pastor has the word for me. How's he going to fix me? How's he going to help me? You come in here every Sunday because you think it's about you and you're waiting for me to speak it into your life. You want me to study. You want me to chew on it and to regurgitate it to you. And you think that's all you need. 30-minute sermon for an entire week. 
But imagine if you would flip the script. Imagine if you go, God has gifted me. And God didn't gift me for me. God gifted me to build up the body, to encourage the body. So imagine every one of you, you would yield to the Spirit. You come in here Spirit-filled going, God, how do you want to use me? How can I serve? What word do I have for someone? How can I give? How can I be hospitable? I'm telling you what, this building can contain the people who would show up. When the church of God becomes united in the Spirit of God and goes forth. But so many of you want to come in, listen, and you think it's about you. You think it's for you. You prophesy to us, preacher. You speak to us. Why don't you start prophesying? Why don't you start speaking to people in the parking lot? Why don't you start building people up with the gifts that God's given you? That's what the church is. This is not some one-man show. If you come here just for me, you're coming for the wrong reason. You've got to step into what God's gifted you and use it for the body. God's giving you leadership and administration and hospitality and teaching. So many teachers, I don't want to teach in the church because I teach all week. Dear God, He gave you a gift to teach. Use it. You would use it in a secular world, but you wouldn't use it in the church. You see what I'm saying? So many people, because you're such a consumer, it's all about you. It's not about you. We will not build this church on signs and wonders and miracles. Signs and wonders and miracles were never given to entertain Christians. We will build this church on the Word of God. Even if we feel like it should be or shouldn't be, we will build our church on Jesus. He's the main focus of our life. He's the one we run to. He's the one that we look to. Yes, I want Pentecost in here. Yes, I want to see God do miracles. Yes, we want people to come in spirit-filled. Yes, we want the manifestation of the gifts in our church. But he goes on and says, if that happens, do it in order. Why? So that people who are far from God will know that He is the one. So in verse 39, he says, here it goes. So dear brothers and sisters, be eager. Again, he says it again. To what? Prophesy. And don't forbid someone who wants to speak in tongues. But if you're going to do it, you do it. What could he say in verse 40? Proper and in order. So no confusion can be in the body. So people don't think you're crazy. Because it was a mission. The greatest mission is not your gift. It's the fruit from our lives. That's why I believe Paul put 1 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit inspired to put 1 Corinthians 13 between two gifts. Because it's not about the gifts. It's about the fruit from your life. The greatest gift we can ever see is when people cross from death to life. There's no greater gift than someone gives their life to Jesus. No greater gift for someone who crosses over from death to life. I believe this. That you have something that God wants to use in this body to help us fully accomplish the mission and the vision that he's given us. So don't sit there and be a consumer. Don't sit there and don't think you have a gift. You be a contributor. God used you. He gave you a gift. He wants to use you not to edify you, but to edify the body. Now go use your gift to do that. I'm going to ask for you to bow your heads. I know I went over But I hope that was beneficial to speak into your life. And some of you have challenged your theology. I've challenged what you've been taught. That's great. Go home, get your Bible. Let the Bible beat the Bible. And let the Bible interpret the Bible. Ask God to open your eyes and show you truth. Remember what Paul says. Don't despise prophecy, but when it's given, go weigh it. Weigh it. Keep before God and study His Word. 
Are we all going to agree on the same thing? Nope, and that's okay. But we all must stay focused on Jesus. The greatest thing you can do is give your life to Jesus. We're about ready to go have a baptism experience. If that's your next step, come on. Today's your next step. Let's get baptized right now. For those of you who need Jesus and he spoke to you in a way that he just opened the eyes of your heart and you know he's working life, would you please go to our next step area? You're going to have some time. By the time the kids come out for the back, go to the step and say, listen, God's doing something in my life and I just, I need to talk to someone about it. Don't run away from that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's relevant. Thank you, Lord, it's true. Even when we feel like sometimes it shouldn't be or that's not how it works and we're not going to let how someone misuse their gifts to distinguish and show us what your gift is and how you have gifted your body. So, Father, I pray right now that we all will yield to your spirit, that all of us would walk in the spirit, that all of us would be filled with the spirit, that we will exercise the gifts that you have given us, not for ourselves, but to edify the body, which then edifies you, that brings you glory. God, only you can do that. So may, Father, we be a church that, that believes in the manifestations of your presence, that we will see miracles and families healed and prodigals come home and lives been changed and people healed physically and people healed financially. And, Lord, and people break their addictions because not of us. We can't do that, but only you can through your spirit. And, God, may we be the conduit for it. So we yield to you. We yield to your presence. We yield to your gifts. We yield to your waves. We yield to your word. God, would you pour your spirit out of this region? That when people look and see, God, it only it's not about a church, it's not about a pastor, it's not about communication, it's about you. Only you can do that. God, do something so big in our midst that only you can get the glory for it, that only you can get the credit for it. We believe that, we declare that, we hope that, we say that in Jesus' name. And everyone said. Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon. 